We are facing the most challenging circumstances with the least resources we've ever had. That decade and more of austerity is having a massive impact. And, you know, and, and I would use the word crisis. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. You're listening to the sound of children playing because today we talk about nursery schools. There's a funding crisis in maintained nursery schools across the country. In Bristol we have 12 and that basically means they're run by the local authority. In 1986 there were 600 in the country and today there's around half that. So why are they all closing? How are they funded? And why should we maintain and protect those specifically in areas of deprivation and pay nursery school teachers they're striking alongside other teachers should they be paid more child development and education should we be testing as much as we currently are and Ofsted is Ofsted fit for purpose some people in the teaching industry think it should be disbanded lots to discuss with today's guest Sam Williams head teacher of Redcliffe Nursery School enjoy hi Sam how you doing yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Neil. How are you? I'm very good. So, yeah, Redcliffe, Redcliffe Nursery School. How long have you been head there, Sam? I, I knew, actually, uh, just since September 2022. Uh, oh, there so you? two thirds of the way through my first year. And how, how's it going? It's fantastic. It's a very demanding, very demanding job, but incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. It's a very special place. So I'm very happy to talk about it. Sure. And what was your sort of background coming into, into that role? Where, where were you previously? Yeah, so a variety of experience. I worked a long time as a primary school teacher with with some leadership responsibilities. And then my wife developed an outdoors early years setting from our garden. So I worked with her for for nine years. So it was that kind of combination of primary school experience. In your garden? In our garden, yeah. Okay, how big's your garden then? It's pretty big. It's in St. George. It's sort of that 200 foot wild garden. Um, Oh, lovely. Yeah, so... Yeah, I remember in my NQT year, I did a, did a full time newly qualified teacher in East in Eastern Primary School. Oh, uh, I know, yeah, I, yeah. My second daughter was born at Christmas in in that year, and yeah. after that, I went part time part time primary school, and then yeah, outdoor early years with my wife, and I never looked back. Really, that was kind of my introduction to the early years, and that sort of brought me to Redcliffe and brought me to maintain nursery school, and hmm. yeah, I'm kind of yeah, absolutely loving it. And the area itself, Redcliffe, is in what would be sort of defined as the a deprivation area in the thirty percent top band in the UK. It's got, I think, it's sixty percent ethnic minority mix in your school. Twelve different languages spoken at nursery, so quite a quite a challenging school. Quite a, an environment where I guess you need to have sort of nursery school teachers that are culturally equipped. Yeah. experienced, yeah. you know, able to be flexible to sort of multitude of different needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, ultimately, Redcliffe Nursery School is embedded within that community and a part of that community and has been for a long time since the 1960s. So being a part of that community is, is, is you know, even though you might talk about, you know, high levels of deprivation and, you know, children coming from socially and economically disadvantaged backgrounds ultimately it's it's a you know a lot of cultural things that we can learn from families it's it's a fantastic place to learn from 
children and from the community. And, and I, we, we very much feel a, a part of that community. And that's a really big thing for us as a nursery school. Is that important then? Because I think a lot of, I think it's changing a lot, but sort of traditionally education establishments, schools, primary schools, nurseries, sometimes could maybe a little bit the think the sort of the world ends at 3.30 and there isn't <laughs> much of a connection to, you know, to the community outside. There's been a lot of work to try and sort of change that and build a greater kind of connect. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, something about Redcliffe is that we used to be a children's centre as well. So not okay. just to maintain nursery school, we had sort of integrated services of health and social care. We were open all year round. You know, we were seeing, you know, families right from pregnancy, from birth, health visitors. So that kind of the integrated services within the community. And, and that, you know, especially when you're thinking about early years, you understand the holistic nature of education and, and the support around the whole family and the whole community. So in a way, it's probably more connected perhaps to parents and the local community than what a secondary school or a primary school is, arguably, because yeah, because arguably, of the nature of the of the age of the children that yeah, you're working with. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I went to a, um, a race equality event at the council that was, that was really great and run, you know, but possibly from a slight secondary primary perspective and one of the bits of feedback I gave is that you know these this is great stuff to do but where's the where's the early years in that you know everything yeah. that you're trying to do is easier for us we've got parents and carers you know coming right into our into our building every single day twice a day you know yeah. the, the, that kind of connection with the community is so well embedded and being able to start you know with families right from the very beginning with a home visit you know that's that's something that we'll be doing before children start with us is an opportunity to go to their home to see them in their family in their cultural environment you know with their interests with their strengths yeah. and ultimately that aim then is to to be able to bring those interests those cultural experiences those strengths into into the nursery school so we're building that kind of partnership right from the very beginning and the, just for those that don't know, might be getting confused with Redland. Red Cliff is yeah. the bit that's kind of just by the river, sort of between if you're going on the way to Bedminster, isn't it? Sort of. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a sort of a, an area of council flats. So we're we're high risers on the right as you go down. Yeah, in there. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. So we're actually the bottom floor of Spencer House. So okay. Yeah, we're we're the bottom floor of Spencer House, one of the blocks of flats, and then we've got a purpose-built nursery school that's kind of come out from that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty unique unique place. Um, this is something that's been quite talked about nationally and locally. If, if, just, just thinking locally, that in the last Bristol City Council budget announcements, protecting nurseries and children's centres was quite a big thing that was kind of made out of the administration that we're, we're proud to have done that. I think Nicola Beach said it um, mm. in my last in the last podcast interview I did. There's been a, a, a sort of a decrease, hasn't there? I think. There's only 12 left, is that right? 12, which you call maintained nursery schools. I'm not quite sure what that means. What does that mean, a maintained yeah, yeah. nursery school? Yeah, so one of the reasons I was keen to come on here, Neil, is is to talk about maintained nursery schools and to be able to sort of explain what maintained nursery schools are, what the value that we have for our children and families yeah. and the wider sector and the wider education sector and the city, ultimately. So I suppose it's, what it is, it's, it's local authority maintained. It's not, it's not run by a private private provider and legally we are a school you know we have to have a governance structure with a governing body we have to have a legally a, a leadership structure with a head teacher we're inspected by Ofsted in the same way that a primary school or a secondary school is inspected 
Yeah, you know, Bristol has got, uh, you know, even though there have been closures of major... How many closures have there been? I've got the national well, not, stat there. So yeah, I think well, actually in 1986, in... there were 600. Mm. And then in th- 2019, there's 392. Yeah. Do we know what it is in Bristol? I was trying to I, find it, but I couldn't find it. I, I mean, from my knowledge, I've only been, you know, I've only been in maintained nursery schools for, for a small period of time. But in my knowledge, no, no maintained nursery schools have closed in Bristol. Okay. And actually, I think the largest proportion of children in the whole of England, three and four-year-olds, are educated within maintained nursery school. Bristol has got the highest proportion. So there's a long-standing history well, that's quite of, a positive, of, of valuing yeah. maintained okay. nursery schools. In that's the quite a positive then, because I mean, that, I think that's a, a 32% decrease nationally, yeah. and we've kept it. Okay. So do you think, you know, being heralded as an achievement by the council, you, you think that's, a, that's a, something that they have a kind of right to do? Well, I did listen to Nicholas, and I and I think that you know we 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 the budget. I understand the council budget is obviously very challenging, you know, and and we are still here, but we are we are you know still feeling significant pressure at the same time, you know. I think that as as a lot of schools are, but maintain nursery schools, century in particular. But they, ultimately, it comes down to the government funding and the, the the funding that they are receiving nationally. And you know, within within that picture, I do I do think the local authority have done an incredible job, and I hope that they continue to do an incredible job in valuing maintaining nursery schools, you know, and supporting us to stay open to serve our communities, you know. But ultimately, the the, the funding formula nationally for all providers in the earlier sector has is 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 far too low. To, to even break even. I've got some stats here, Sam. So maintained nursery school leaders have reported losing an average of 70000 a year on income, Yeah, as well as having to spend an extra 8000 for additional COVID-related costs. Yeah. As a survey carried out by some of the early education unions revealed that over a third of maintained nursery schools are cutting staff and services to balance their books as a result yes. of lost income. Yeah. That's something that's affecting you directly as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the nursery school has been through, you know, quite significant change in the last five years. So not only did we, did we sort of lose the children's centre and the loss of those integrated services, we used to be a teaching school, for example. We used to provide undergraduate and postgraduate modules. We trained 800 forest leaders in the city. But through some of those sort of funding challenges around COVID, around SEND, SEND is the acronym for Special Education Needs and Disability. Around the two-year-old funding, three- and four-year-old funding, we, yeah, we, we've lost many members of staff, a lot of leadership capacity, whilst also trying to maintain that excellent quality of education. And I think when you think about the value of maintained nursery schools, what you're really thinking about is early education. You know, we're not thinking about childcare here so parents can go to work. You know, that might be one element that's important, you know, and the thing that Jeremy Hunt will be picking up in the budget about, you know, enabling parents to go go to work. But what we're talking about is early education and actually that really high quality education that you can provide for young children. And for me, that's that kind of first step in equity. You know, if you're thinking about disadvantage, if you're thinking about children coming from socially and economically disadvantaged backgrounds and you're thinking about equity and providing that equality of opportunity, that starts with excellent early years education. Is it not as valued? Is it not as valued? As no, primary no, school it's... and senior school, because it's seen as all oh, just it's just lit work. I mean, I think the pay for nursery teachers is significantly lower than teachers at primary and senior school. Is that right? 
Well, the, the teachers the teachers at Redcliffe and other maintained nursery schools will be on the same pay scale as primary and secondary school teachers. They will be. They are. There is the national pay scales. So there is are. a national pay. I mean, because some yeah, nursery we, teachers are on 14, 15 grand. Yeah, that, would be I mean, the, that would be the non-maintained ones then, yeah? Well, well you're, talk, yeah, you're talking about the people who aren't qualified teachers or, empl- or, or who are not employed as qualified yeah. teachers. So, you know, our, our, we, I, 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 find it, I find it quite difficult calling people early years practitioners or support staff because ultimately they are you know if, if not even not employed as a teacher they're a teacher they are still a teacher well the fact they they're are, called they something still... else the yeah. fact they're even called something else doesn't that itself say that perhaps it's not as it, valued as, it, as, yeah it, i yeah. do I, I do think i do think it says that it's not as valued and you know we've got some incredibly experienced incredibly qualified incredibly passionate staff who, mm. who are, yeah who are not valued and who are not being paid what they deserve and who yeah. are really struggling to stay in the sector you know there's yeah. a recruitment and a retention crisis not just for maintained nursery schools but right across the sector because it has been so undervalued for so long and it's I, interesting isn't it i'll just 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 jump in there yeah. it's interesting how um and it even happens in coaching as well in sort of sport coaching people who get paid the most sort of value is at the the top end adult or under 18s in this country but when you go abroad if you go to spain you go to italy you go to france the people who coach the younger years that's considered to be harder because you're sort of starting from a blank canvas and you've got all those things around social engagement child development all this kind of stuff that goes in not just the technical side are there examples of other countries with early years i know you don't like using that term where it is on an equal footing or it may be even valued even more so um, yeah, yeah, on the continent. Yeah, definitely. I think you know the Scandinavian countries, in particular, Finland, Sweden, you know, Estonia. I think, I think the the shadow education secretary recently visited Estonia, and all all early years provision is provided by maintained nursery schools, all very highly valued. The cost for for parents and carers is negligible, if anything. So, yeah, there are definitely countries that really do value that early years education and do really value the staff and the skills and the training and the qualifications that you really need to work in early years education. Yeah, because it, it sets the tone, surely. Oh, absolutely. For, for, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, the impact that you can have is, is undeniable. I mean, the, the amount of research that has been done on the impact, you know, you, you can talk about the economic impact, you know, further down the line in terms of job opportunities, education and employment. But the impact that you can have on those children in that moment for who they are and the quality of their life and experiences, it's very hard to quantify, you know, when you're looking at the impact that you have on these children, their first experiences outside the home, their first interactions with education, their first experience having their horizons expanded, mm. the first time that child goes to the forest with us, you know, it's 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 unquantifiable. And the impact that you can have from that from the early years, and especially when you're thinking about tackling disadvantage. Yeah, you know, well, just about to say that it's even more critical um, at that age to set the foundation, isn't it? Yeah, you know, in the 12 nursery schools in Bristol, they are all located in areas of, of significant social and economic disadvantage. You know, and I really enjoyed working, you know, even in my short time, I really enjoyed collaborating with St. Paul's Nursery School. I went to Noel West Nursery School recently and learned about their trauma-informed practice. 
And having these nursery schools in these areas, supporting those children, giving that leg up right from the very beginning. The beginning, yeah. Yeah. You know, and not in a deficit model, from a strengths-based model with the connections, bringing the families in, learning from the parents and carers, supporting them in a holistic way. It's invaluable. There was a recent meeting You've had you've had meetings yourself with um, Department of Education, the National Association of Head Teachers, Bristol, the regional department sent representative recently to talk to Bristol City Council. Some quite strongly worded letters. Um, what is it that, that the council aren't doing that National Association Head Teachers got together to lobby the council to do? I think what we're talking about is is making sure that we continue to collaborate within a transformation programme. We continue to understand the value and the contextual conversations that we're having. We continue to work together to 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 have a good outcome for the city to maintain nursery schools. Yeah, and you know that wasn't I, happening. I, then that wasn't happening. Well, is that, I, I think the it has been, I think I think it has been happening. But I did, you know, I did. I did. I have received some, you know, have received some communication that has made me feel quite nervous and quite anxious and, and okay. worried. And and I suppose, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I you know, I don't want to have a go at anyone. No, no, no I don't. And no one's friendly anybody yeah. robust. I just think, obviously, if if, yeah. if a union has, you know, has contacted the council, if there's some, I'm, I'm presuming this is happening in other cities, not just Bristol. And I think there is a big debate at the moment, just generally, not just in not just in what we're talking about, around how much is to do with cuts and actually how much is also to do with a still still a limited, yes, but still a decision to prioritize certain things and cut other things. Yeah, I mean that I mean that ultimately is why I'm is why I'm here. I'm not naive around the budget. I'm I, what I'm here is to try and promote the value of maintained nursery schools within yeah. very challenging financial circumstances. Um, on the cost of childcare in general, yeah. the, the UK is in the top three most expensive across the developed world. Yeah. So there's clearly a bigger, broader cultural issue. Yeah. I'd be very interested if there is a change of government, whether that will change or not. But one thing I do know, which is interesting, is a lot of people that are making key big decisions on stuff like this. Mm. A lot of them went to prep schools yeah, or, or they were with nanny, weren't they? And it's a kind of, I just wonder whether there's a sort of cultural attitude, where, whether it comes from the sort of leadership and the type of leaders we have in this country. I mean, how many, how many Conservative Party leaders would have actually gone to a, an establishment like, like you work in? Yeah, well, very likely very few. You know, and and then one of the reasons why childcare is so expensive for, for, for families in the UK is because the, the three- and four-year-old funding and the two-year-old funding that we receive from the government is so low. So yeah. because that funding is so low, what providers end up doing is that they end up charging their private clients so much to try and make up for the shortfall. That's why the provision is so expensive. It's because the government funding doesn't cover costs and actually you're, you're, you're making a negative, it's a minus. It's not free funding for early education. You, you're, you're then your private, your babies, the younger children that aren't accessing that funding are charged a much higher rate to try and make up for that shortfall in funding. Okay. And um, I guess if all the um, maintained nursery schools in Bristol are primarily in you know, I'm doing air quotes in deprived areas, yeah. then that's yeah. going to be more challenging. It's, yeah, Interestingly, yeah, though, I think the Lime, am I right in thinking the Lime's nursery school is one of the only ones that's actually made a profit in Bristol? That's where I my think, kid. That's where yeah, my kids went. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think that that is. I think that's all public. I wonder if that's the case then, because 
That area has gone through a lot of changes and a lot of gentrification in, yeah. in the last, you know, several years. My eldest went there right to my youngest, and you can see the sort of difference in the makeup of parents yeah. and kids that go there. And I guess what they're doing then is more people are paying. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for Harkcliffe, you know, for example, Harkcliffe Nursery School, it's much harder to to be able to top up that funding with yeah. those kind of private providers. Each nursery school has its own unique challenges, you know. And whilst we have the immediate Redcliffe community for us you know, wouldn't be being able to provide that kind of pay that top up or that that premium price. We, because of our reputation, you know, people do travel to us as well. So we are able to benefit from that to a certain extent. But yeah, it is, yeah. it's a major, major challenge for, for a lot of the maintained nursery schools who aren't able to supplement that funding that doesn't cover their costs. They're, they're on it, you know, and that's, a, I suppose that's a massive challenge for the local authority as well, isn't it? Do you need to build more nursery schools in posher areas then to get around it? And then send no, the kids no, from other areas. That's, no, because that's not that's not the point of a maintained nursery school. A maintained nursery school was to go back to that equity and and that that first leg up in life for those children from socially and economically disadvantaged mm. backgrounds. It's it's that's what maintained nursery schools have always been for since the nineteen twenties. They were that, set up specifically that, with that up, remit. Yeah, that is set up specifically okay. with that yeah. remit, and we need to continue to be able to serve those communities. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and but what if you? But I'm just thinking, if you built a nursery school, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious now. But if yeah. you built a nursery school in like a a posh area that was adjacent to to there, then you could basically send the young people from the area next to it into it, and then you could make money from the from the from the middle class richer families that are there and balance it out. I, I don't know. These are your ideas, not mine. <laughs> just pause the chat for a bit to tell you about the Bristol Cable. We are a cooperative organisation, which means that we have members and we want you to become one. If you jump onto the Bristol Cable website, you can find out how you can become a member. You can pay a pound, £2, £5, £10 a month, whatever, and you get a say in our structure. You can go to our AGMs, our events, come up with ideas on stories for the newspaper guests for this show ideas for documentaries anything really so if you are interested then as i say jump on the bristol cable website and check out how you can get involved back to the chat um i'm gonna talk about offstead for those that don't know offstead is a is a school in, inspector and as you said as a, a maintainer school you also get offsteaded i think quite quite controversial Obviously, we've even seen in the in the last few days in the media the National Education Union oh. passed a motion to abolish Ofsted yeah. and uh, bring in a new regime for standards in schools. Be honest now, are Ofsted a, a bit of a pain in the ass, and this is just a constant thing that you just feel like you're being monitored and looked at, and and actually, it's not always helpful. The current system we've got. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't get. I'm not able to draw on huge amount of personal experience with this, Neil, because I haven't been a head teacher through an Ofsted inspection. But okay. I'm awaiting one imminently. As Redcliffe, we've had ten outstanding Ofsted inspections. Okay. There's certainly a, there's certainly a, a, an amount of pressure that I would feel as a head teacher coming in, having that kind of legacy and having that kind of reputation. You know, and if it if it did all come, you know, down to this one word judgment on 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 my sort of leadership, I can't quite imagine actually how I would feel. But and I, Is, and I, does and that I just, stress? Does that sorry to jump in? Sam, yeah. Does that stress and pressure? And I said you haven't felt it. Ultimately, kind of fall on the head teacher. You're the one whose neck is on the block a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm very lucky to have a very supportive governing body as well, and they they they're sort of you know helping frame 
that value of an Ofsted judgment within the wider value that we see that we have in our community. You know, and I very much see the head teacher's role as 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 taking, you know, taking that pressure, soaking up that pressure and not cascading that down to the staff and the children and the families. So that's for, for yeah. me, you know, when I talk to our team about Ofsted, you know, we don't do things for Ofsted. We do things for our school community, you know, and, and for us, if they were to come in, we just want to show off our best. But mm. it is, you know, there is there is massive debates going on nationally around Ofsted at the moment. And I was reading about the NEU as well. You know, yeah. Well, a un- chat head teacher actually took his own life, didn't he? Under, she, di- she, under she direct did, pressure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think it's. I think it's been. I think it's been cited in the coroner's reports of, of ten people actually who have taken their lives. It's you know. Is it really ten? Why? Yeah, ten. Why? The reports of ten coroner's reports. So, I think. That- so 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 the question then is really is Ofsted too draconian? Does it need to change? Yeah, ultimately, you, you need accountability, and all head teachers would welcome accountability. But I, I. You know, I think the way and the system that is there at the moment, you know, there's a there's a strong argument that a lot of head teachers and other people in education are making at the moment that it is unfit for purpose. It's not providing the accountability and the support for improvement that it should be there for. And the pressure on head teachers is is immense, you know, as as you've seen with recent events. It is and mental health and well-being within that kind of structure and system of accountability yeah. that there's that's there at the moment with that one word judgment is yeah. is devastatingly hard and uh, it's very difficult you know to, to to deal with when you've got everything going on in the school you're serving your community you're being there for everyone um and then to have that kind of external pressure is is does, does it does it, it affect be- does it affect standards you know you, you make the point that you need to have regulation of course but actually, that amount of regulation, what impact does that actually have on the standards of the education that's provided to to young people, particularly that you know kids at the age that you work with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's complicated, Neil. I mean, we're inspected under in under the same framework that primary and secondary school is inspected under. So when we're thinking about our early years curriculum, we we really need to think about who who it's serving as well and, and not doing things because we think that and you know an inspector is going to like it but to do it because we know that it has an impact on our but do you think most schools family. do that or they're second guessing and hopping about i from, think it's very know. easy to start second guessing and hopping about you know i think and i think that the pressure you know as you can see you you want to be able to succeed in those inspections you don't want it to damage your reputation you know and, and your neck is on the line ultimately in a very very high pressure high judgment scenario but and of course you you do want an external body to 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 help improve standards i don't think anyone's arguing against having an external body to improve school standards to work in partnership with schools to provide information to but 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 that's a different point isn't it i think i think most people acknowledge that it's about the the level of that and the danger that that can just become a box ticking exercise which actually doesn't mean it's a better education it just means you're fulfilling the criteria which is being passed down the chain I mean, I think we all like challenge, to be honest, in education. I like challenge. I like it when people challenge me and I like it when people hold me to account. And ultimately, I want to serve, you know, I'm, I've got a very privileged position as a head teacher and I want to serve the children and the families to the absolute best standards I possibly can. And but I think there's that there's that having, you know, ultimately just the time that they spend there with you one day, two days. Are they really going to be able to get a really in-depth understanding of the way that you serve your community and the impact that you have on your children? 
in that amount of time? Is there a different way of doing it? You know, that's going to be yeah. more collaborative, more long-term partnership working, better information for parents and carers, and maybe holding it, you know, holding the education system to, to higher standards. And are there conversations taking place about this? You, you just, I was about to ask you what, you know, what yeah. does, what does good look like? What is a better way of doing it? And you've just put forward, you know, what sounds to me like more of a partnership, uh, something that's over the, you know, over the academic year, which mm. is more gradual, more, you know, gets a, a bit of a deeper understanding of what's happening, well, maybe, maybe, maybe being less punitive about it and actually yes. it being about being more nurturing and trying to, to get you better. Is, is that, is that, are there conversations taking place in education I, about I, what I the think, alternative to this can be? Yeah, I think that, I think that that is, that is where it's going. I mean, the NEHT, the National Association of Head Teachers, right after Ruth took her own life, you know, they, the first thing was actually these inspections need to pause until a proper risk assessment is done on the mental health and well-being of of, of school leaders and anyone working in schools, really. So the yeah. first thing, you know, would, would be to pause and evaluate what is the impact that is that's been had here. And yeah, I think that those conversations now are starting to happen. I think that many head teachers are now thinking that this offset isn't fit for purpose and are yeah. starting to have the, that conversation on, okay, if, if, if now reform isn't the right way to go is that what what is what is the alternative and what could that be how could that look you know i'm, I'm very very new in my career neil so i'm not i'm not yeah. so, so well far no so I, 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 you don't need to talk yeah you yes yeah, for sure you don't need to talk from even from your own personal experience just a general sense of how people feel mm. i think in, in the mm. sector i mean i've spoken to other teachers and, and people we know that work in early years that feel that actually just philosophically speaking that yeah. you shouldn't be testing children at such a young age anyway. That mm. actually all the evidence indicates that just constant testing not well, only I, puts pressure on teachers, puts unnecessary pressure on children at a really, really young age. And what we talked about setting the tone before actually sets the tone, but arguably perhaps in a, a negative way around your self-esteem, about the level you go in at school, like that, that actually perhaps there are better ways to do this. And that, that's why I love the earliers, Neil, because it's that bottom-up approach. It's meeting the children in their home, where they're at, who they are, and having that holistic approach. And I, and I really think that kind of top-down, task-driven approach is, is, is not right. And the pressure that that top-down approach has is yeah. not actually effective. There's a, there's, a, there's a quote I really like, which is treating children as beings, not as becomings. We need to meet our children where they are, where their yeah. families are, and we need to support them in, in whatever they need in terms of their learning and development in a holistic way. And that kind of top-down driven accountability, top-down you know, testing, who does that serve? You know, and, and, and that's why I really do believe in a bottom-up approach from yeah. the early years. And, and I it, think there are yeah. some primary schools in Bristol that are taking that approach and are looking into that approach. Okay, how can we have the early years going up into, you know, into year one, into year two, maybe up into year six even? How can we flip that around, you know, and, and meet the needs of our youngest learners and have the impact that that can have on the rest of our school? I mean, you say you, your nursery on your website says our nursery school is well-resourced with as many natural I can't pronounce this. Heuristic, not holistic. Yeah. Heuristic, H E U R I S T I C. I had to Google that. Yeah. Uh, and open ended resources as possible to encourage children to explore, investigate, and hypothesize. So, this is about teaching young people, you know, how to how to think, how to learn, how to explore, you know, kind of pedagogy stuff, isn't it? All this, that, that, and then you do all of that and then they go into an environment where they're just tested every five minutes. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's incongruent, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, we treat children as capable and, and, and being able to be engaged and active learners, to be able to take responsibility for their learning, to be able to risk assess, you know, yeah. and to decide, you know, possibly with the support of the adult, if that risk is worth taking. And when you, you know, when you, yeah, when you come from the early years and, you, you know, children have got the ability to be empowered, where children's rights are respected and upheld, where children can make sense of their own learning, hypothesize, problem solve, challenge themselves. And ultimately that, you know, they, when you're talking about that kind of learning, that's actually really very, very skilled work that you need. The further you go up, the less, the less opportunities. And it feels like, you know, I've got a daughter in secondary school. All of it is predetermined. All of your yeah. learning is predetermined for you already. Whereas we don't... Which obviously teachers don't, a lot of teachers don't like that at, at senior school themselves. They would probably like to do more you know more empowering enabling discovery type stuff but unfortunately at the moment that's 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 not not quite the case and then obviously it then links into the 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 Ofsted report the league tables you know if you're part of an academy trust that's a financial thing as well people coming in it just sort of snowballs and starts that whole kind of process of of testing 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 yeah yeah Um, and you 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 talked about a conversation around Ofsted you know I think there's a conversation around education at the moment that's worthwhile that to have you know and I think we really need to think about what who are we serving you know and what are we serving when we're thinking about education and what the agenda is I want to talk a bit about teacher strikes as well. Yeah. So I don't know whether you've been involved in any personally or there's staff in, in, in a nursery school teachers as involved in the striking as primary and, and senior school. If they're members of the NEU, they are, yeah. And, and many members of the NEU, nursery teachers in general or? Yeah, yeah. So the strikes had an impact on our nursery school. Yeah, absolutely. And did you see why, why they're striking and, and do you support the strikes? So I, I do see why they're striking, and you know I'm a, I'm a member of the NEHT, the National Association of Head Te- Association of Head Teachers, who are also in dispute with the government over pay. And you know I can I can totally understand. You know you you've got the one thing that, that that you can strike about in terms of your terms and conditions of employment around you know the, the what you're what you're earning, and that yeah. has suffered a massive real terms decrease. You know I think there's different figures going around, but possibly thirteen percent pay decrease over the last 10 years and then also one of the biggest things actually as a part of that is that how are these pay rises funded so often when 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 teachers are given a pay rise so the offer that's that that came out from the government that the neu have just rejected was was not funded so it has to come out of existing school budgets so it's not you're not only talking about and teachers are not only striking for their own pay and conditions they're actually striking because of the impact this is having on children and on school. Oh, I see. So any pay impact, rise, I, 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 let me yeah. ju- any pay rises they have, yeah, are coming from the school budget. Yeah. So, a, so, a, so a pay rise for teachers could mean you know redundancies. Let, uh, staff, is that a clever tactic? Is that that's a clever tactic to sort of say, well, you know, you're putting the, you're you're putting your own personal salary above the needs of the child. Well, what the, what I think what the unions are asking for is that the, for these pay rises to be funded. Um, well, no, that's my point. Is is that a clever tactic <laughs> yeah. by the government? To say, well, you know, we're giving you a pay rise, but you know, why would you accept that if if it's affecting your child? And yeah, the pushback to that is, well, you bloody pay for it. You should be yeah. paying for it. Yeah, there are strikes again, yeah. as as I talked to you. Yeah, the NEU, twenty seventh of April and the second of May. So, will you likely be closed on those days? We'll we'll tr- we'll we'll be partially opened. We'll op- we'll open for as many children as we can, but it but it will have an impact on us. We won't be able to be fully open. 
But, you know, it's, it's a massive decision for teachers. No teachers want to strike. You know, they're losing pay. They're not getting paid for days that they're off. And, you know, and, and teachers are struggling as well in the cost of living crisis. Yeah. It has an impact. Of course, it has an impact on our children and families too. It's, 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 it's I suppose, having to balance and weigh up the impact of the, the strikes and what they have versus the impact on the wider education system over a number of years based on this significant underfunding. And the government yeah. will always come back and say, we've put X amount of money into education, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is, and, and, on, he, and on the teachers, so they basically offered a 4.3% rise next yeah. year, as well as a £1,000 one-off payment this year. Yeah, And they have said that the rejection of that and the continuation of these strikes, this is a direct quote, is unforgivable. Mm-hmm. That's the government. That's what they've yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're, 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 they're putting themselves in opposition, aren't they, quite clearly. A deal has been made in Wales and Scotland. You'll notice that teacher strikes are not going ahead in Wales and Scotland. So what's the difference? What's going on here? Why has a deal been reached in Wales and Scotland where, you know, there's a funded mm. pay deal that teachers have accepted and yep. there are no, there's no further strikes. Why, why, why do you why, think, why, <laughs> get, get political, go on. Why, why? Okay, well, <laughs> well, well, I... It, it's um it's a political choice isn't it ultimately yeah. you know it's a political choice to to these these pay offers their the money is available of course the money is available so why why is that political choice been made in wales and in scotland and not in england well i think the teachers have been demonized and the teaching unions have been demonized i mean i think one of the education secretaries that we've had recently we've had quite a lot actually it's hard to keep keep up with them but one of them i think caused called teachers sort of lazy like sitting around it's, it's the long kind of, holidays always big holidays yeah, exactly. yeah. you know you know it's, a, it's an attack against the teaching profession you know and i think that that you've seen it with the strikes with the nurses you know and the yeah. doctors and the ambulance staff and the rail workers you know all of those people that were really there during the pandemic that were on the front line that you don't think that gets that, that same sort of demonization happens in scotland and wales well, I just then maybe there's a different way of collaborating and actually valuing mm. and working with well, your de- devolution. Would devolution be something to do with it? Poss- quite possibly, yeah, quite mm. possibly. Well, it, yeah, it is devolution. It is a devolved decision. So the Welsh Assembly yeah. and the Scottish Assembly have have dissolved powers over negotiating those pay deals with teachers. Yeah, you know, and, so it is. Neither, obviously... neither have got conservative majorities. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I've answered the question for you, right? There you go. Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's interesting, and, and and of course, it's as you just said. You know, this is this feels like I don't know national strike round the corner. This is not just teachers. This is you know, as you say, nurses, postal workers, yeah, journalists, even yeah. even bloody solicitors and lawyers. So yeah, it's a, it's a trick, and I suppose their counter would be well, we can't give you know when with the inflation and everything, we can't give everybody uh, an increase in line with inflation because we would bankrupt the country what what would your response be to that look no there's always enough money for when they need it it Mm. just it just depends on how they want to spend it you know if you're looking at how much was wasted you know on ppe contracts during the pandemic you know how there's there's enough money in the system to fund public services properly in my opinion it's just how they choose you know to frame that and, and where they do choose to spend the money and and ultimately, you know, to go to, to talk a little bit politically, you know, to go all the way back to 2010 and think about austerity, the impact that that has on education has been dramatic and on public services in general. We are facing the most challenging circumstances coming back and trying to recover from the pandemic with the least resources we've ever had. 
And that's ultimately it. You know, all of these public services are facing the most challenging circumstances. And 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 the resources, where have they gone? That, that decade and more of austerity and cuts to our services is with is is having a massive impact. And you know, and, and yeah. I would use the word crisis. You know, teacher I, I salaries have fallen by teacher salaries fallen by an average of eleven percent between twenty ten to now. If you take inflation into account, that's a fiscal study. So, yeah. so it's interesting, isn't it? And I, it, again, I think you know people talk about as you, you've just kind of made the point about choice, really. That you know, cost of living and financial crisis. There are some people that think that you know that this is sometimes a political, philosophical thing. What are the solutions to this? What can be done? What can, what can we do? You yeah. know, what can government do? How can that change? What kind of changes would we like to see to sort of try and, I think we've analysed and spoken about a lot of the challenges and a lot of the issues, rightly so. What solutions have we got and how can we really, really affect um, and create change? Before we get to solutions, you know, something I'm I'm really passionate about are processes as well. And I feel, you know, I feel like as a head teacher, the way that I try and work, and I think, you know, as a society, this this reflects on it as well, is that we're always going to face challenges we're always going to face difficult circumstances. But if we can have the right processes, if we can work together in the right way, those challenges can make us stronger and that mm-hmm. can then lead to those solutions. So I think before you're even getting to those solutions, you're talking about conversations, you're talking about consultation, you're talking about elevating the voices of the stakeholders. So rather than me sitting here as a head teacher saying, these are my solutions, this is what I think we should be doing, what I think we should be doing is listening to our communities Listening yeah. to our children, listening to our parents and carers. As you what said the, yourself. What do they want? What are the processes yeah, that we can sure. bring people together to work? Well, the problem is that you're, you're right, but the problem is is people aren't listening to those no, concerns of voices. No. Really, your job, you're in a, a sort of privileged position where you can advocate. You, you, yeah. you can have a foot, you know, you, you know, you've had meetings with the Department for Education, so you can yeah. affect, lobby, reflect, yeah, because uh, they're you know because they're not going to come out of their ivory tower and and talk directly to these people, are they? So it's really important those people that are in, I guess bridges that intercede on on behalf that that actually get the message right and are yeah are persistent and consistent and and don't stop nudging. Yeah. So okay. So my solutions in terms of early years and education is the whole sector approach. Obviously, we're not just talking about maintained nursery schools. We're talking about private providers. We're talking yeah. about childminders. We need a whole sector that is funded appropriately, and then a maintained nursery school within that kind of role because we've got the qualified teachers, because we've got the experience of supporting children with send and children from social and economic disadvantaged backgrounds. We can then go out and support the sector. We can be a part of the solution in terms of supporting other providers, providing our expertise, our teachers going out. You know, we, in, in Bristol, that does happen on a small scale as well. And it's something I'd like to be able to see, you know, see nationally is, yeah. is, is a, a, a well-resourced and well-funded earlier sector with the quality that we've got in terms of our teachers and our staff out there supporting that sector, providing those equality of opportunities, supporting those children and families that have the best start in their life and ultimately you know if you want to think politically this all did happen you know many years ago with the shore start centers you know the children's centers there was that understanding of that holistic approach to education and equity and that understanding that would take years and years before you see the impact of it i think it's long-term thinking neil that's what you need you need but you can only do long-term thinking if you have effective policy and decision makers will reflect you know 
that you know the you you could be reflecting the 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 concerns and the wishes, the desires of the communities in which you serve. But if no one's listening to you mm. and enact, enacting that, then yeah. that, you could do that to the cows come out. So what you're really yeah. saying is we need to change a government. Well, what I think education actually could come out of the hands of politicians, you know, rather than this, whatever, whoever is in government, yeah. it's always going to change, isn't it? And every education secretary wants to make their own mark on it and change yeah. it in their own way. You know, so I only say that because you mentioned Shawstar, and some people may not yeah. know. Obviously, happened under Blair and the New Labour yeah, education, yeah. education, education. Would a change of government bring a lot of the things that you desire? Is that not going to happen unless there is a change possibly, of government? Po- po- possibly, you know. But when you look at some of those other education systems that are really effective, that we were talking about, you know, yeah. Finland, you've got that kind of. I think you've got countries where you've got proportional representation there. Yeah. You've got a more collaborative approach to education and a more long-term thinking. Long-term vision. So it's I'm less political. Here, yeah, I'm not yeah. here going to be advocating for one. No, I'm not asking you to. I'm just saying you're not here. I'm not telling you what. But obviously, obviously, all this, my, my kind of wider point really is all this sort of stuff is like arguing over a comb if yes. actually people are not listening and, and enacting and, and yeah. you know, if, if education is low on the list of priorities because there's a bunch of people that don't really understand the needs of that, that actually that's perhaps what's needed. I, and, you know, and then it might change. It may well not. I know a lot of people that think the new Labour towards the latter part of their tenureship, you know, certainly in the last, the last election and maybe the one before completely forgot about. I worked in community development and people, a lot of people in deprivation areas felt they were ignored mm. and left behind and actually and that's why a lot of them voted brexit and went the other way do you know what i mean so yeah. i'm not necessarily yeah you know saying that i just think that obviously there needs to be some change yeah and my question is do you think that could happen more likely mm. with the labor government but actually even beyond that as you just said about finland yeah this shouldn't be a party political issue education no, it should be no, bigger than that shouldn't no, it exactly i mean that and that's the point i'm trying to make it shouldn't be a party political issue yeah. It, it, and, and when you're thinking about the impact of education, you're thinking in the long term. So you can't have these initiatives that start and then suddenly there's something else. OK, no, we're doing something else now. I know the, the chopping and changing within education is is on another level. So having yeah. that continuity, taking it outside of party politics, you know, having the professionals and valuing the profession and the expertise that they can bring to that, having that long term thinking, that collaborative approach. And, yeah. and serving, you know, the children, families, communities and the wider society, you know, yeah. taking the agendas out of it. I do still think now that teachers, teaching as a profession, maybe sort of maybe doctors as well, teaching as a profession is seen as, to the majority of people, is just a noble thing to do, well, educating young people, period. And it's about them being valued yeah, being and being respected, you know, these people these people have children i'm pretty sure if this was happening at harrow or eton and something wasn't being done right they would be complaining about it yeah and i'm you know so it, I mean, i'm being slightly facetious now but the the that that's the fundamental point about this isn't it if you can't value yeah our teachers you know and, and not just you know doctors and whatever but the people that are really working at the front line of public services in difficult challenging environments then what's it all for yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think we, you know, there's a conversation to be had around that. And there's there's elevating that kind of argument, which is, which yeah. for me is is important. And, and we do need to value not just teachers and not just people working in education, but all, everyone working not only in our public services as well. There's frontline workers, people working yeah. in supermarkets during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And as sure. a society, yeah. we can, we, you know, the, the social contract, in my opinion, is broken. 
Yeah. You know, when you're when you're thinking about what a government should do to provide and, and, and support and look after a society and the kind of compromises that you make as a citizen or a subject within that, you know, that kind of social contract is for me is is broken and, and, and there needs to be a conversation around democracy and around governance and around accountability and around uh, representation yeah. and around listening to people's voices, you know, yeah. and, and I think that education and, and, and the rest of society will be much better off from that. Yeah. And I think the long-term sort of, there's two approaches, I think, to the, to the long-term kind of strategy to anything, but specifically to education, as you say, to get to a position where it transcends party political beef or trying to make yeah. a statement or change what somebody else is so it just becomes education is something we all agree collectively yeah. which is obviously going to happen more under under pr or under a coalition where people will work you know collaboratively it also works in a dictatorship as well or it works <laughs> in it works in you know it works in china and it works in cuba and it works in places because they don't have that cycle Mm. election cycle i'm not suggesting that 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 necessarily we should do that but that's also quite interesting because that's one point that sort of dictators make is we don't have to go through this whole change change you can set 25 30 year visions 30 year strategy and it's kind of you know and you could argue in terms of education the chinese are leaving us behind aren't they well, I think the Chinese are also learning a lot from our approach as well. Yeah, there's, there's, different, there's different ways of doing it, certainly. And, and, and one of the things is, you know, our community is unique and the way that we do it can be unique to us and our society and our culture and our democratic traditions yeah. as well. And I think, you know, it's, there's just a conversation to be had around that. I think so, yeah. I and, think so. and I think the lockdown, I think lockdown and COVID, I don't think it, I, I, it, I think it changed the dial. I thought it might have changed the dial a bit more in that conversation, but I do think it's yeah. still lingering around. And I think I think what your suggestions about Scandinavian model, I mean, they seem to do a lot of things well. There seems to be a good balance between public and private, the, the right yeah. balance. Absolutely. And, you know, ultimately you're investing in your society, aren't you? Yeah. And, and I think you're investing in people, and, and I think that that's really important. And you, you, you know, you, you're as a as a and as an individual who maybe is more well off in that society, you know that you know vast vast levels of inequality are not helpful to those people or to you. And actually, having a more having a more equal society is of benefit to everyone. And I think we've got to a point now where where we are, you know, things are really crumbling around the edges and 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 there are many people who are really suffering at the moment you know and that's something you definitely see when you're working you know in education you're seeing the struggles that people are having on a day-to-day basis around housing around employment it affects us massively because we want to support those families you know and ultimately what's going on with those families is going to have an impact on those children and and we it puts a strain on our staff you know we're we're not funded well enough to provide the education that we want to provide you let alone all of those other services that have, sure. have gone yeah. missing in action thank you um ever so much for coming on sam no thank you neil i most appreciated being candid yeah i know, I know at, at certain times as, as a head teacher it's a, it's a bit difficult to answer some questions yeah it's nice to get a perspective and i think this is about education but also i think it's about it's symbolic of wider issues as well really i think mm, absolutely um, absolutely it's a canary in the coal mine you know it in is ways good luck with everything at redcliffe yeah nice one. take care just up cheers Bye-bye. cheers neil many thanks to this week's guest on bristol unpacked sam williams head teacher of redcliffe nursery school And we'll be back next time with another fantastic guest and a brilliant topic.
I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>